What we do here is go back, 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 back. back. And welcome into episode DSC Nueve of the Two and a Half Marks podcast. My name is David Statman, and as always, I'm joined by my good friends, Angelo Anglisa and Jake Long, as we rewatch and relive and remember a different random wrestling pay-per-view on the WWE Network every single week. Usually, I say, after I, I, I read that part of my intro, I usually say something like, we got a pretty good one this week, boys. And then we, we, we kind of go into our intro. We talk about it. You know, hey, what's going on? You know, we're all having a good time. This one sucked, dude. This, <laughs> I, you know, I, I, this is bad. We're watching In Your House 4, Great White North. Retroactively from, named, by the way. It was not named yeah. this at the time. Yes. They, I think they gave them all retroactive names for, like, the VHS releases or something. I don't remember. But... Yeah, I mean, most of the original In Your Houses didn't have names. They just gave them numbers. But this is In Your House 4, Great White North in 1995, and it's some big old stinky pee-pee-poo-poo all around. So uh, we all we all had a bad time, but how are you guys doing today? Doing pretty good. I, I would like to apologize for the earlier squeak while David was cutting his opening promo. Had to let my dog out because my recording space is right next to the back door, so... Again, my dog is probably doing something outside that is very similar to In Your House 4. So, you know, there, there's the crossover. That's what we need. Jake, how are you? Oh, I am doing great. Uh, you know, sometimes wrestling is good. Sometimes wrestling is bad. Sometimes wrestling is ugly. And I don't think any of those words describe what I just sat through. Like, I am, I was, like, disturbed after I watched that. Like, it was... I, I we were talking before the show, and I said that uh, Monday's episode of Monday Night Raw was cursed. I think this was a cursed pay per view. Yes, I'm going with that. This was cursed in a lot of ways. Yeah, right. It, it was so Dating, cursed like, that Vince flipped out at the end of it. Yes, Vince apparently flew into a blind fury after this pay per view because the main event was so bad. I mean, it was cursed in the sense that like all of the matches were bad, mostly, and. Shawn Michaels couldn't wrestle because he got the shit beaten out of him by by uh like by ten literal marines, marines by ten marines at a bar in Syracuse like two days before this pay per view. It's cursed, you know. Like the the Lord, the good Lord did not want in your house for to be good. That, it was so wild because I was reading that, like I was reading the Wikipedia. I'm just like, okay, did he really actually beaten up by marines, or is this just like an angle? And no, he actually just got beaten up by marines outside yeah. of a bar. <laughs> For some unknown reason, I could not find what the reason was, but just wild stuff with what happened with Shawn Michaels. Yeah, I'm going to need to actually do some research on that because I'm sure if I look back in the old Meltzer newsletters, he'll have like info on the reason why Shawn Michaels got assaulted and he wasn't able to he wasn't able to wrestle on the show. But that like actually happened. And wait, they had and, him on the phone lines afterwards, too. So, like, he's on the phone lines for that superstar hotline during the show. Yeah. So, so he got so, jumped, and he's still talking to <laughs> Well, that's the thing. I, I don't know if that was – okay, I, I, like, I don't know if we would ever have any listeners who were watching wrestling back in the mid-'90s and tried to ever call one of those hotlines. I always kind of got the feeling that they were probably just pre-recorded stuff. 
but I have no idea. Like, like they showed him talking on a phone. I feel like that might've just been him. Like, like, Oh, Shawn Michaels is on the phone, but like, there's no way if you called, you would actually get to talk to Shawn Michaels. <laughs> he was like, what would you say to Shawn Michaels? Like, Hey man, sorry you got your ass beat. What happened, dude? <laughs> what are you going to say to him at that moment? The moment I get out of jail, I'm coming for you again, Michaels. Yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm, I'm going to try and, and, and do some research and find out what happened and why he just got brutally assaulted before this, uh, this show. But I feel like this show brutally assaulted me in turn. So I feel like we're kind of all even. Good segue. So yeah. Uh, let's, let's start the show, boys. Let's remember some guys. There are some guys, too. In your house for Great White North, it's October 22nd, 1995. We are in Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada, hometown of Chris Jericho. We've got 10,339 people at the old Winnipeg Arena, home of the Winnipeg Jets. And we're going to start this show off we have a, a stirring rendition of O Canada with a, you know, picturesque slideshow of Canada and all of its wonders and glories. And we lead off with a cut. They cut straight to uh, Gorilla Monsoon, who at the time is the interim WWF president. And he just uh, starts it off by very solemnly speaking into the camera. It's a very jarring start. It's just here's Gorilla Monsoon. He's talking to the camera saying that uh, Shawn Michaels has been injured and he is not cleared. He was scheduled to defend the Intercontinental title that night and he is not cleared to defend the title and instead he will be appearing on the show and surrendering the title to the man he was going to face, Dean Douglas. And of course, as we said in real life, he got his ass beat by a bunch of Marines and he couldn't wrestle for some reason. So that's going to happen later on tonight. Uh, we got Vince McMahon, Jim Ross, and Jerry Lawler on commentary. We start off with a match between Fatu and a, a Connecticut blue blood by the name of Hunter Hurst Helmsley. Never heard of him. Now, this is... Now, listen, people have been making fun for a long time about... Uh, Triple H's nose being huge. And I honestly have never really seen it that much until I saw this version of Triple H. And man, it was smashing through my computer screen. I mean, <laughs> his his nose was so big, I thought it was on testosterone replacement therapy. Like, just uh, it, it, uh, ungodly. But he is uh, facing off against Fatu, uh, you know, talked about Fatu many times as uh, later on known as Rikishi, big dancing man and too cool that we all love. It shoved his ass in people's faces. This is like a kind of in between, almost forgotten version of Fatu's career, where it was post when he was in the Head Shrinkers tag team and before he became Rikishi. He was this sort of like. Uh, cool, positive dude from the streets who wanted to make a difference in his community and uh, had pants that said, just say no on them. So What's that's that like his gimmick. Because I, I was curious about that. That was actually the first note I had was... I, I don't know. I mean, it was sort of like almost the... It was like the gimmick that like Mabel had before, like the men on a mission. Yeah, except yeah. like they didn't do the whole... He like, Fatou didn't rap. 
Like that was the difference. It was just the it was just the men on a mission gimmick, but without the part that made people like men on a mission. Got it. So that's what it was. So we got the two and this guy uh, Helmsley. Helmsley has got the uh, he's got a he's I guess he's doing like the Rick Martell gimmick where he's got like a bottle of cologne and he's trying to spray it on for two <laughs> for some reason and for two just rips it out of his hand and he attacks Triple H. Triple H for much of this uh, match, he's wearing a button-down shirt and like fancy like horse riding pants uh, because he's a fancy lad. David, I want you to wrestle in in horse riding pants sometime. I mean, I feel like you would just get so chafed. Oh my god i (laughs) I would look like a Ken doll by the end of it. I'd be be over. I'd be done, dude. I'd be done. Um, but. So they're doing this match. Two starts hot. He attacks Triple H right out of the right out of the gate. And uh, pretty early on, Triple H. This was kind of gnarly. I don't know how they really did this, the way they did it. But like Triple H tries to throw for two over the top rope, and somehow he gets torqued around so that his neck gets caught in the ropes. And they do, you know, the the ropes are twisted on each other, and so it looks like he's like like hanging and being choked. Which was nasty. I don't know how yeah. they really because they did it very seamlessly, so that was kind of cool. But it also sort of hurt me to watch. Have you ever seen anybody then, else do that? I have not. I, I feel like think. I don't know. I feel like maybe. I had seen it somewhere. Yeah. I, I also feel it. like I also feel it because I mean, I mean you see people get their arms twisted up in the not in the ropes all the time. The neck, but they did it with the neck, and I I also feel like I've seen it before, but I can't place specifically when I've seen yeah. it. But it, it just looked gnarly, and then Triple H beats him up. He hits a spike pile driver. A lot of this match is a Triple H beating him down and wearing him down for a really long time. He teases the pedigree, but Fatu gets out of it. He then hits a DDT, but Fatu no-sells it completely. He pops right back up. He runs wild. He hits a super kick. He hits a backbreaker. He goes up for a diving headbutt, gets a two count. Um, He hits an ace crusher out of the corner. Goes up to the top rope to hit his big splash, which was his finisher at the time. But Triple H rolls out of the way. Triple H gets up. He hits the pedigree. And he pins him in eight minutes and six seconds. Afterwards, uh, Hunter Hearst Helmsley is chatting with Jerry Lawler at ringside. And uh, wrestling hog farmer Henry O. Godwin (laughs) shows up. And he menaces... Young Master Helmsley with his bucket of hog slop, which I'm pretty sure was just an empty bucket. I'm pretty sure he, that bucket didn't actually have anything in it at the time. But uh, Helmsley runs away, and then they ended up doing at one of these in your houses. They did a uh, like a hog slop match or a hog pen match between uh, Hunter Hearst Helmsley and Henry O. Godwin, which is like one of the infamous things that happened early on in his career when he just was doing. Yeah, ho- the, the next in your house, we had a hog pen match between Hunter Hearst Helmsley and Henry O'Godwin. So, and oh, and the special guest referee, Hillbilly Jim, which was... Oh, same. I remember that. What was it called? Oh, so, yeah, Seasons Beatings. Yes. <laughs> oh, my gosh. In your house five, Seasons Terrific. Beatings. <laughs> but, so, yeah, Hunter Hearst Helmsley uh, beats for two, and... I don't know about you, man. This gimmick, this this guy's going nowhere, man. This is a this is a dead end gimmick. 
It's so- I think I think I think honestly the name Hunter Hearst Helmsley is just too long. I think they need to shorten it in some way. But I wonder if he's just going to call him Hunter because I mean I know Vince loves those one single name wrestlers. What yeah. if he's going to go with Hunter or like HHH? Nah, I think you could that's, just that's, call him. I think you could just call him Hurst. There's a lot of. They do to everybody to now. I think that's got a lot of power to it if you just called him Hurst. But real talk, I mean, H just st- is stealing blatantly stealing William Regal's gimmick, the fancy lad. Granny, was he doing his gimmick at this point though? He was in '95. I think so because we've had Lord. Yeah, no, he, I mean Regal had been doing Lord Stephen Regal for quite a time. But that's the first thing I noticed is just like. I feel like this is just a uh, William Regal, Stephen Regal match, and Regal does it better. So why yeah, do I want to watch yeah. Hunter Hearst Helmsley? Yeah, it's like he's doing the like. It's like Vince wanted him to do this the the Stephen Regal gimmick, but like Triple H is from like New Hampshire, <laughs> so he was like, "Well, you can't be British, so I guess you're just a fancy New England boy, and we'll have you dress up like you're a like you're a Connecticut Yankee." <laughs> And that's and that's just that's your gimmick now. And you, that, guys, you guys should know Benedict Arnold. Yes. Yeah. yeah. That's him if he wrestled. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, that's your gimmick, dude. Also, I'm pretty sure <laughs> Paul Birchall wore, wore that exact shirt and pants at some point in his career too. Except Paul Birchall was cool because he was a pirate and <laughs> he, he used to swing <laughs> in on the rope. That was all. I was a dope gimmick. That was bro. one of the best entrances to have in like WWE SmackDown versus Raw 2006. Dude, I always played as Paul Birchall in WWE SmackDown versus Raw 2006 because he had the pirate gimmick. And I, I oh man, I'm gonna get off on a Paul Birchall tangent, but <laughs> tangent, but a number one. He was, he was cool as hell. He was actually a good worker. <laughs> and two, I remember when they had him do the pirate gimmick. Like they actually introduced it in like a funny way, where he like literally just goes up to like whoever was like in charge and is like, "Hey man, so I found out that my like my great grandfather was a pirate, so I'd like to be a pirate now." Like they aired this on SmackDown. He's like, "Hey, so I'd like to be a pirate now." And it's then like pirate was, Steve. was like. Yeah, all right, you can be a pirate. So he was just a pirate, and that was his good. He was awesome. That's like, great. You never get to see that peek behind the curtain. Usually, people just show up and they're just their gimmick. But you actually got to see Paul Birchall be like, "Hey, you know, I'm really into pirates now, so I've decided to be one." <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Dave, you covered a lot of the moves that, like, I noticed. I mean, another thing that I guess you didn't notice, uh, didn't mention, is Fatu sells the hell out of a clothesline late in this match because he like goes head over heels for it, which for a big man that size. Very impressive. Um, the other only other notes I have on this match because again, a lot of this card stunk. The best matches are these first two matches, and I still think this match was bad. Um, I got a little bit of Otis vibes early on when Fatu was like kind of no selling and dancing, like very similar kind of vibes in terms of like how they no sell and just kind of start moving and jiving. Uh, and then also just how small Trips looks in this match, like. He looks scrawny. He kind of looks like he's got like Adam Cole's build. Granted, he's like six inches taller, but it was a very small Triple H. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it wasn't the uh, it wasn't leveled up Triple H. This the the only wrestling note that I took on this match was that this was the OG pedigree without the arms release, and it looked way cooler. But it also looked like it could legitimately kill you. Well, I think he changed it. Because he almost killed a jobber with it. No, he absolutely did. Like, that's the yeah. exact reason. He, like, spiked his head because he couldn't catch him. So he had to start releasing it. But yeah, if you don't if you don't watch the two, like, back-to-back, you really don't see a huge difference. 
But I mean, I've watched a ton of Triple H matches. So I was watching to see which pedigree this was. And it was just like the hold both arms until their face is in the mat. And yeah. it looked, it looked, I thought it looked pretty brutal. If people listening have never seen the video of Triple H nearly killing the jobber with the original pedigree, it's pretty, it's pretty frightening. I to mean, be because, fair. to be fair, it's honestly, it's, 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 it's one of those like miscommunications. It's also yeah. partially on the guy taking the move because he didn't realize. I think the story was like he thought Triple H was going for like a power bomb or something, so he jumped yep. in the air. But Triple H was just taking him down to the ground, and so he ended up spiking directly <laughs> like his spinal yeah. cord through the mat. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. The guy jumped too high, and then like his head went down, and his legs like went up in the air, and you could just tell that was <sighs> not what intended on happening. <laughs> Yes. Great move. Go watch it. Yeah, it's pretty it's pretty frightening. It's also no wonder why he has knee problems later on in his career, because all that force just like because essentially you're trying to keep his head from like fully hitting the map with your knees. So I don't know. A lot of force on the knees. Anytime your like signature move or whatever, like you have the same move and you do it over and over again, it, it involves you falling down on a specific body part. That body part's gonna get messed up later in life i mean it's why it's like why hulk hogan is now like five foot nine now because he lost like a full foot of his height because he destroyed his spine doing the leg drop a million times that's the thing i worry about like with someone like kevin owens like because he he kind of uses stunner now but he doesn't use it all the time but at the same time knowing like the stories that we hear about again hogan and steve austin it's just like man i hope he doesn't mess end up with a messed up spine Let's be real, though. Kevin Owens isn't winning that many matches with the with the stunner right around now, so he might be okay. He's not winning many matches, period. Yeah, that's that's kind of what I was getting at. So I think we might be all right with 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 KO. I want him to go back to the uh, the package pile driver, but mm. don't we all? Great move. Anyway, uh, well, so yeah, this is an eight minute match. It was fine. It didn't suck too bad. Is it? And, I mean, like the second best match on the card. Yeah, Easily. I would say. Pro- like easy the second best match on the card and it's just like it's a match like yeah it's just both a- guys are both guys are competent Fatu was better a couple of years ago but he had started to get bigger and bigger and then eventually he became like i mean rikishi, rikishi. was a massive guy <laughs> but like you watch you watch like 92 93 head shrinkers Fatu, much skinnier more athletic actually very good the head shrinkers yeah. are a pretty sweet tag team he looks a lot more like J- uh, Jimmy and Jay here in the face than he does as Rikishi. Yeah. Never forget that Jimmy and Jay Uso are Rikishi's sons, which is so weird. That's crazy. That they're his sons. It's bizarre to me. Which one of them is going to get fat first? I think it's going to be... It's going to be which Jimmy. Is, who, which, one has had, which one has had the DUIs? I think it's is it Jimmy. Jimmy or Jay? Is it Jimmy? I, I think Jay's had them, hasn't it? Have they both? I, Jim, I don't know. I was gonna say whoever gets hurt is. more because I feel like Jimmy. I, I was gonna say Jimmy because Jimmy's the one that's out currently, so I feel like he's always the one that's getting hurt. Fair enough. I mean, I guess they have both. I, I looked up. They both had uh, both some had run-ins some, with the some run-ins. Well, Jimmy's not getting a Universal Title shot or a WWE Title shot, whichever. So I guess I'm gonna. I guess I'm gonna go with Jimmy. But we'll see. I don't know. It's not like those guys are really heavily built guys to start with. So they might be okay. Anyway, moving on. This is, I think, I think we could probably agree, best match on the card. Easy. And yeah. involves some guys who were actually good at wrestling. We've got a tag team championship match 
the tag team of Billy and Bart, the Smoking Guns, defending against the one, two, three kid, Sean Waltman, a, you know, my favorite guy of this era in WWF as a worker, and <laughs> Razor Ramon. But I did want to, before that, uh, we have a little vignette backstage where uh, Doc Hendricks, who at the time was an, a, a backstage kind of, you know, backstage interviewer. Terrible, terrible idea. Um, he's interviewing Jim Cornette and Davey Boy Smith. You know, they're in the main event. Um, but I wanted to bring that up because Doc Hendricks, of course, also known as Two and a Half Marks podcast favorite, Michael, Michael P.S. Hayes was Doc Hendricks. Angelo, did you know that? Angelo is... Angelo, where, does, where is Angelo? <laughs> where did he go? Hold on, I'm going to answer for, for answer for Angelo and say there's no way he knew that it was Michael Hayes because okay. I had to look it up. To Angelo, just, Angelo just walked off for some reason. We're going to keep rolling here. I'm not going to let him edit this out. Are we going to shit talk Angelo while he's gone? Yes. God. He's a short. (laughs) Let's get that right off the bat. He's a short. B, he keeps buying more and more bad wrestling t-shirts. He's wearing an Eric Young t-shirt. He's he's currently wearing an Eric Young t-shirt. He may be the only person. I like Eric Young. Maybe the only person outside of the Young family to be owning an Eric Young t-shirt. Could you imagine purposefully wearing a Terry Funk shirt, though? Uh, that's more excusable. Terry <laughs> Funk is cool. Because you're, um, I'm about to be Angelo, working. glad to see you, buddy. You just left. <laughs> Don't I edit that ask out. You a question. You're not, I'm not allowing you to edit this out. <laughs> I was about to ask you a question. Did you know that Doc Hendricks, the backstage interviewer guy on the show, also known as Two and a Half Marks podcast favorite, Michael P.S. Hayes? Wait. Same man. I knew Wait. he wasn't going to know that. Wait. Yeah. Wait. Same, same man. Wait. Wait, did yeah. you legit not know that, Ange? No, I did not. And I thought Doc Hendricks was awful and annoying. Yeah, yeah well, exactly. yeah. That's what I said. I had to look it up. I was like, yeah. who is this guy? And I was like, oh, my God. But I didn't even bother looking him up because he was just like, I don't care who he is. He's annoying me. It's weird, though, because, like, Michael P.S. Hayes was part of one of the, like, hottest tag teams of all time in the fabulous Freebirds. Like, he was genuinely a star. Briefly, who we consider naming the podcast after. Because, like, Freebird rules. And there's three of oh, us. Oh, yeah. Well, no, that wasn't. Did all we ever it. consider that? I thought no, that, that was just a that name was just, that was posted me, in the chat. That was me spitballing, but I don't think that there was much consideration that went involved that went into that name. Meh. but whatever. Um, but yeah, also, uh, don't Michael, on my shirts, dog. Michael P.S. Hayes is on the show, so we love to see that. So we've got uh, Billy and Bart. Of course, you know it's fun to watch. You know, we're watching Billy Gunn today in AEW, and he of course is a famous guy who's been around and he's been a star for a long time the original billy gun gimmick as a, a cowboy dude and he's just kept the same name the whole time and he is with put some respect on the name of brawl for all champion bart gun taking on one two three kid and razor remote and this is a a, a solid match um one, two, three, kid and Razor are in control at the beginning of the match. Both teams are technically faces at this point, but both of them are sort of working a little heelishly in this match. It's sort of strange to watch. 
just in terms of like the the storytelling and the dynamic of it. But I mean, the match itself is solid. Um, Billy gets tagged in. He runs wild. He gets the hot tag and hits a bunch of moves. He brings Bart back in and then Bart hits one, two, three kid with like 26 backbreakers in a row, uh, really stealing Roderick Strong's gimmick before Roderick Strong ever existed. Um, they do a bunch of shenanigans where, uh, you know, Bart and kid both go out. Razor Ramon tries to put kid on top of Bart for the pin behind the referee's back, but Bart kicks out at two. Razor hits the razor's edge, his finishing move on Billy Gunn. But this is, this is a, I mean, this is straight up just a stupid finish that I hated after a, a solid match. He hits the razor's edge and he doesn't pin him. Instead, he sits there and sort of stares at one, two, three kid for like a half hour because kid is on the apron begging Razor to tag him in for like ever. I mean, they're, they're like staring at each other for what just feels like an eternity. Where at, while, while Bart, uh, or while Billy Gunn is lying dead on the mat after taking the finishing move from Razor Ramon. Finally, uh, he tags in one, two, three kid. To just get the pin, I guess. Because 1-2-3-Kid doesn't even do another move. He tags in and then just runs in to try and pin Billy. And then Billy grabs him and cradles him. And the guns retain. In 12 minutes and 46 seconds, the smoking guns are still World Tag Team Champions. And afterward, 1-2-3-Kid uh, is really pissed off that he just biffed it for his team. And, I mean, Razor doesn't seem to really care. He's just kind of like, ah, shucks, whatever. Because I, you know, as we... You know, see, he's got a title match, another title match later on in the card. So whatever, he doesn't give a shit. Um, but afterward, one, two, three, kid attacks the smoking guns after the match, uh, seemingly turning heel. He would eventually feud with Razor Ramon later on. And uh, according to Dave Meltzer, this happens a couple times. I went back and I read uh, the Wrestling Observer from this time. The crowd was really heavily booing the smoking guns and the finish of this match when it happened, but they mute the crowd super hard and uh, on the WWE network play of it. And they do it again for the main event. I'm but not this. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Are you done? No, you're now nah, you, you can go. I'm pretty much. Done. I'm going to cut you off like a finish from a match in 1995, dude. So I just want to say, I don't know if I'm allowed to say this or not. Like, I don't know like what, you know, like, like what the uh, sensors will do or whatever, but uh, I'm a smoking guns, Mark. Ooh. I think. Like, am I allowed to be? Yes, because yeah. I I wouldn't call myself a smoking guns guy. Yeah, maybe I'm not a Mark, but they were good. I liked them. I yeah. thought. I don't think. I think too many people remember Bart Gunn for getting his ass absolutely knocked out by Butterbean. You know what I mean? And like yeah. nobody remembers that Bart Gunn could actually go in the ring. Uh, but yeah, I, I thought, did you guys see the spot where Bart hit the ropes and like went over the ropes? Yes. Like, and how smooth it was, how smooth I thought he died. <laughs> like he hit it. And I don't know if he like expected the rope to get pulled and he just like, like cartwheeled out of it. It looked unintentional to me. I don't know. I, I, again, it, it looked very serious. Like I, I get what you're saying, but for me, it just looked like quick thinking or whatever just impulsive it looked maybe. good okay i, okay, I maybe. thought i thought it looked good but i can understand seeing like how it looks like haphazard at the same time maybe, maybe it was so good that i thought he died i don't know and uh yeah okay that's enough about the smoking guns 
I said a couple pods ago that the Hardys invented being cool. And I need to issue an apology to Razor Ramon. <laughs> just the coolest son of a bitch in this building. Can you imagine the just the sheer amount of sex Scott Hall was having in 1995? But what accent is that? I, I do have yeah. to ask. What so, accent no, 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 is no. That? So he was trying. I mean, like the Scott Hall, the Razor Ramon gimmick was based off of Tony Montana from Scarface. Right. And the old story goes that like, so they signed Scott Hall, who had been wrestling in, I think he was had been wrestling in WCW. And Vince McMahon signed Scott Hall because he was considered like a big talent, you know, future star kind of guy. And he walks in to sort of like, like he wants Scott Hall to pitch him a gimmick. And Scott Hall had just seen the movie Scarface. So he basically just starts like talking in the Tony Montana accent. He's terrible at the accent. And he never got better at it either. Like, it's almost painful to listen to Razor Ramon speak. But, like, he he is saying, like, he's saying these lines to, like, Vince McMahon and Pat Patterson, I think it was. And he realizes that Vince McMahon and Pat Patterson have never heard of the movie Scarface. And they think that this idea that Razor, that, that Scott Hall came up with, is, like, genius. Like, oh my god, I can't believe you came up with something so cool. This is such good shit. Like, he just he just invented the idea of being Cuban. And, you know, like that that was the gimmick of Razor Ramon. God, and he's but still like, doing it the yeah. year uh, a year later at Great American Bash in 1996, too. Yeah, that's the weird part, too. <laughs> it's because after he goes to WCW, at least for the first bit, he's like be like he's Scott Hall now. He's not like you know, his name is literally Scott Hall. It's the whitest name you can think of. But he's still doing the Razor Ramon voice. And it's like, dude, we know that your name is Scott now. He's in too deep. Yeah. Uh, I, I just, I don't know what they were doing with that. But the, I don't care. Razor Ramon is sick. I love him. There's a the, there's a couple of reasons I thought this match was good. Or I, I don't want to say I thought it was good, but that I didn't hate it as much as other ones. And one of them was because there's a spot in the middle where Dean Douglas is taking notes. Did you see? <laughs> I hate this. You stole my note. <laughs> I like it. There's very few times I've laughed out loud ever at a WWF slash WWE product. I laughed out loud at this man sitting at a desk, just feverishly taking notes on and watching the TV at a completely normal angle. Very normal. It's a very normal angle. I too like, like to watch my TV at 135 degrees. <laughs> I too love to to you know just just torque my neck and destroy my 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 brainstem because I I watch TV perpendicular to my body. I love that. It's my favorite thing to do. So we talked a lot about everything in this match. I, I'll, I'll get my two cents in. I'm becoming a Billy Gunn mark, so I understand the smoking gun. Hell yeah! Because yeah. Billy Gunn just him in the ring. I get a lot of Dolph Ziggler vibes, except if Dolph Ziggler Ziggler was cool. That's what Billy Gunn is. Yeah. Uh, but again, I think he's electric. Every time Every time he's doing a move, it just feels like it's impactful. Although the next note I have is 123Kid, guy for, uh, in the future known as X-Pac, uh, just looks crazy young. It literally looks like he's like 18 or living in his mom's basement. Uh, but his kicks, his kicks are impeccable. Like yes. the, the speed at which he kicks, the height he gets on them, despite being a smaller guy, incredible. Uh, overall, I didn't hate that finish. It is confusing because it, it does make sense because after he ate the finisher, there's a lot of time to recover. But it just felt, I don't know, silly. And then you have the bad guy at the end of this showing sportsmanship as opposed to the one, two, three kid. I, 
I don't know. It just seems like a lot of extra after the bell nonsense that you really didn't need. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how anyone was supposed to take one, two, three kid Sean Waltman seriously as a heel when, yeah, he looks like he's 16 years old. Yes. And that was part of what kind of got him over in the first place when they did like as like the kind of underdog baby face because he looked like a high school junior who lived in his, you know, parents house. But yeah, it's just he, he looked like a child. But he was a good wrestler, man. He could kill it. And then we get another Doc Hendricks promo with the cutouts saying, yes. uh, Bret Hart, in your bedroom, watching you sleep. Yeah, which was literally just like literally just a joke on being the elite, where it was like uh, Evil Uno bought a, uh, uh, a cardboard cutout of Brody Lee, and he watches him sleep. They, like, I think Doc Hendricks plays that straight up. He's like, yeah, you could buy a cardboard cutout of Bret Hart, and he can watch you sleep. <laughs> Because that's cool and, like, a good thing to do. Uh, But we then go on to... This is, like, a really interesting match to watch. Not a good match, necessarily. I was going to (laughs) say. But it's interesting. We have got uh, Marty Jannetty making his, like, seventh return to WWF. Taking on Goldust in his debut match in WWF. Dustin Rhodes in the Goldust We've we've done a lot of we've done a few Dustin Rhodes matches. This is the first Goldust match, and this is the first one that he ever did on WWF television. This is the original incarnation of that gimmick, where he was this strange, androgynous guy who wanted to look like the Oscar statue for some reason, and he was obsessed with movies. That was the original like incarnation of Goldust. He wasn't even like crazy sexual yet. He was just weird, and he wanted to be the Oscar statue. Uh, the it's it's interesting because supposedly the story goes: Dustin jumped to WWF. He accepted this idea from Vince that would become the Gold Dust gimmick, and he just wanted something, anything to kind of get himself from out from under his father's shadow, and. When Vince is pinching him this gimmick, Vince used the word androgynous, and Dustin didn't actually know what that word meant. So he said, yeah, sure, fine, I'll do it. He didn't know what he was agreeing to. And at first, he was, by his own admission, very uncomfortable with the gimmick. Because, I mean, he's Dustin Rhodes, you know? He's not like this in real life. But, of course, he ended up eventually really committing to the gimmick incredibly hard and within a few months he's going to be getting crazy heat insane heat but at this point like he doesn't really look that comfortable the crowd doesn't seem really sure what to make of him at all and this is kind of a slow kind of boring match. boring yeah um we've got you know marty who was a great worker but of course had just a insane personal problems up to this day um yes i did he killed a man nope that was, it was it was a work it was a work allegedly he said it well he said it was a work like two months after he like made this whole thing about how he killed somebody and then the police got involved and then now he's like oh no uh guys it was a work you don't need to worry about it you, got, right, you, guys, sure. buy, you guys will buy anything i'm not so sure about that i think marty's killed a man and buried his body but <laughs> yeah. Who am I? I don't to know. 
I, I mean, it's, he's trying to pull the switcheroo on us, I think. <laughs> but if you're listening to this, I, I don't have anything to say. I hope you're not listening to this. <laughs> yeah. Marty Janetti, if you are listening to this, if you do have any evidence that you that you killed a man, please send it to uh, Angelo Inglisa, at Angelo Inglisa <laughs> on Twitter. I'm pretty sure you can get in his DMs. I please think no. Right. Just if you no, please don't. Okay. But Marty, he hits a he has a Frankenstein early in this match. Dustin fires back at him, takes him out with a lariat. They fight on the outside. Marty slams him into the steps. Dustin sends him into the ring post. It's just an awkward match. They just did not. And these, these were guys, Marty was a great worker, despite all the just insanity of his mind and everything that has happened in his life. A great, great natural athlete and worker. And Dustin himself, a great athlete and an excellent worker who's still killing it 25 years later. So you would think on paper this could be a really good match but it does not flow well in any way. They just do not seem to be on the same page at all. They have repetitive back body drops in this match. Yeah, Marty Marty does like a weird sort of rolling blockbuster in this match where I, I like had to rewatch it like three times because I couldn't figure out what either of them were doing and what move it was supposed to be. Um, Marty hits a leg drop, goes up to hit another top rope move, Goldust, Moves out of the way, but Marty just lands on his feet and then like stands there and stares into the crowd for a minute and hits an elbow drop, which is also really awkward and weird. Um, finally, at the end of the match, Marty, he comes off the top for another move. Goldust gets the boot up, punts him in the face, and then hits a face-first suplex for the pin in 11 minutes and 15 seconds. Again, this match is like a historical document because it is the debut of Goldust, which would become a very, you know, long-running and I think ultimately pretty beloved character. But it's just not good, dudes. The ultimate mid-carter, Goldust. And I don't know. I appreciate, like, Dustin Rhodes committing to the gimmick so hard, even though it's something that it's completely not him. Uh I was going to mention that story about Vince pitching it to Dustin Rhodes and David, you kind of covered it all. Androgynous being used a lot. You hear Vince say it on commentary. Um, but there is just nothing in this match. Both the ring gear, both Janetti and Goldust ring gear is just awful. I don't know what Janetti's wearing. Goldust, I prefer the like leather, uh, I, I guess the, I don't even know what to call it. The leather gear as opposed to whatever fabric he was wearing in this match. Because it just looks un- absolutely unflattering. Uh, but yeah, this was just a boring match that is only notable uh, for the debut of Goldust. Although Goldust does have an amazing entrance and exit. Why are you guys not giving the other rocker any credit? Because I mean, because the match isn't good. I mean, Marty Jannetty is a great worker who had... T- I mean, throughout, I mean, especially the early 90s, had a ton of really good matches. The Jannetty's entire gimmick was always like, yeah, I'm the other rocker. Yeah. Like, that was just his gimmick <laughs> his entire career. But I mean, I just have, I have absolutely nothing for this. I just, it was, like, yeah, it was gold dust. Cool. I always, I always saw, you know, Marty Jannetty, like, continuing to be, like, so the Rockers break up, right? Yeah. And Marty Jannetty just continues to have the Rockers gimmick and the Rockers music. Like for years, like after the shield broke up, Roman Reigns still <laughs> had the shield that. music and he had the shield gimmick. And it's just like, hey, remember he was in the shield? You guys love the shield, right? <laughs> like Roman Reigns 
was Marty Jannetty. And he got pushed to the moon. Yeah. As if they pushed Marty Jannetty. But, you know. Oh, geez. Uh, God. This, I mean, again, like. I have this, nothing. This is something, because we, we've seen a few, we got to randomly see a few kind of important debuts recently. We got to see Rey Mysterio's first match in WCW just recently against Dean Malenko. Kick-ass match. We, uh, at one of the, I think it was Chi-Town Rumble, we saw Scott Steiner's first appearance on, like, TV in the United States, which was also cool. And then we get, you know, the debut of Goldust, which is a character that everyone remembers. And Dustin Rhodes has had a terrific career. He's a Hall of Famer. But it's this, this sucked, dude. I mean, it's, I mean, <laughs> and it's just, they just didn't work well together. It's just like, it did not flow well. They just did not have chemistry in the ring. Speaking of. Weird to see. Yeah. Well, I mean, so Goldust and Gennetti was a case of two guys who were genuinely really good athletes and really good workers just getting in the ring and it does not click in any way. And honestly, sometimes that is a thing that happens, right? It happens. The best to the best people in the world, it happens. This is totally a segue into the next match. I'm spoiling it because I this, can feel it. <laughs> this next match is an instance of two guys who were never going to have chemistry with anybody. <laughs> We've got a match between two of the biggest boys around. We've got King Mabel, who weighed in at, you know, 500 pounds or something, and Yokozuna, who was way who was billed at 6 141 pounds, and looking at the guy, you could believe it. I mean, Vader is not sniffing that that weight. Rest in peace to both of these men. Being that large is genuinely not good for your health, and it's it's honestly a little bit tough to watch. Mabel at least could still move around a bit, but Yoko, who just a couple years before was WWF champion, he could not move at all. Yoko couldn't do anything. Not that he was like the most spry athlete, you know, two years before, but it was really stark seeing him in 95. But we're they, getting, they were getting towards the end of his of how big he was. I said that they always, like one of the things that they picked him up for was that he moved so well for being so big. And it's like, you can tell that in just a couple years time, every bit of that went away. Yeah. And it's, it's a shame. Um, this is a match that it's just five minutes of nothing, man. Uh, King Mabel, who of course had just won, formerly of the Men on a Mission tag team, uh, had just won the King of the Ring a few months before. And as is tradition, he gets the just the brutal King gimmick. This is one of the worst instances of it Mm -hmm. ever, King Mabel. He gets carried out to the ring on like a throne, like a palanquin by four dudes that had, I mean, those dudes, those are some strong dudes who were carrying Mabel out to the ring. Let me tell you, big respect to those four guys because they were hitting the gym. And we got him against Yoko. And again, it's five minutes of nothing. They kind of stand around and look at each other and they hit each other a little bit. Mabel does a leaping clothesline at one point. Again, Mabel is the more mobile and athletic of the two. So he actually does any, any time where anyone had to actually move their body. Mabel was the one who did it. 
And uh, he squashes him in the corner, goes for another one. Yoko clotheslines him, goes for a leg drop. He misses. Mabel goes for a leg drop. He misses. Mabel then sort of goes for a, a weird-looking, I guess, bulldog. But then Yoko kind of, instead of taking a bump, kind of flops to the outside. Mabel follows him out. They fight on the outside. Mabel gets sent into the post. There's then a scuffle between Mr. Fuji, Yokozuna's manager, and Mo, who was uh, Yo- uh, Mabel's tag team partner. And then they just do a double countout. And that's the end of the match. So they have these two big guys. They kind of just do nothing for five minutes. And it's a double countout. Terrible, awful, like just looking straight into hell. Bad. Angelo? And did you guys hear the storyline for why they were wrestling? They were wrestling each other because they both teamed up to destroy The Undertaker. And that was the reason why Gorilla Monsoon put them in this match against each other. That's yeah. fun. Um, this was this was around the time where and it's still kind of like this a little bit in WWE, but it was especially bad in like the early mid nineties, where it was like every heel is friends with each other because they're heels. And then they would every now and then like they would all team up and murder the Undertaker. And so the Undertaker would get attacked by thirty five different heels at once. And that's uh, how they would like write him off TV if they wanted to like like save him for something. I will say, like, uh, with Mabel, also known as Viscera, also known as Big Daddy V. Big Daddy V. He's I, I love the Big Daddy V gimmick. Like, he was a guy that I, get, I had a lot of heat for back in the day. I thought, like, just looking at him, it was amazing to watch him work, even though it wasn't a great work rate. It was impressive how well he still moved around the ring, despite having all that size. And you see it in this match, too, whereas Yokozuna kind of can't. Uh but otherwise, what would the? There's no point to this match, and we don't need to talk about it anymore. Yeah, Yoko just kind of continued to get bigger and bigger. He was out of WWF within the next year. Um, was never really able to keep the weight off. By you know, a couple years later, he was up over 700 pounds, and he was dead by 2000. I mean, just really, really sad to see a guy that was never really able to you know, overcome that that issue of just constantly gaining weight. Because he was a guy who, I mean, you know, he wasn't a good worker or anything, but he was a champion in WWF at one point. They liked, they liked him enough to put the belt on him multiple times. So, very sad. Very sad story. And uh, rest, rest, I mean, rest in peace to both these guys. So, uh, moving on from this terrible match... We've got Intercontinental title on the line. First off, we've got Shawn Michaels coming down to the ring. Of course, as we mentioned at the top of the show, Shawn Michaels had been brutalized by a full squadron of Marines outside a bar in Syracuse, New York. And he looked like shit. Oh, my God. I mean, he walks out. Yes. So Shawn walks out. He's wearing this, like, dope Pelly Pelly jacket because it's 1995. (laughs) He's looking good. I mean, his, his fit was sweet. But I wish he had kept that up. Yeah, he he's got these. I mean, he's got bruises all over his face. I mean, he's really beat up, man. But like between like the beard and like the hair, you know, I, I know a lot of people I've heard say like Adam Cole really looks like Shawn Michaels, and I've never really seen it. 
But then when Shawn Michaels walked out, like the bruises notwithstanding, I was like, damn. He looks, <laughs> him and Adam Cole are looking identical at this pay-per-view. Like he looked so much like Adam Cole that it was really weird. But he walks out very forlornly. He has to give up the title to Dean Douglas. Dean Douglas, a.k.a. the franchise Shane Douglas, who a couple years before was the first ECW champion, famously threw down the NWA title and proclaimed the, the start of ECW. He was their first champion and later was the, the franchise of the promotion. But in between... He went back to WWF and he was an evil school principal for a little while. And that's his gimmick, Dean Douglas. He, uh, you know, Sean, very, you know, he, ha he hands the title over to Douglas as mandated by Gorilla Monsoon. Douglas celebrates like it's the biggest deal ever. It's so exciting. He's the champion. Sean walks away and he stands there and he very solemnly and forlornly gazes as at Dean Douglas. His title is gone. And he slowly walks away. And out comes his challenger. He's got to defend the title right away. It's Razor Ramon. He's back. Our second Razor Ramon title match of the card. They are billing this as Brains versus Braun. And if anyone has watched Survivor Kageon, Brains does not fare well in that competition. <laughs> on the shout, shout out to Tony. Big Tony guy. Big Tony guy. But, and also big Wu guy too. I, I was really rooting for Wu. Oh, yeah. But I love Wu. But RIP Cliff Robinson, by the way. RIP to Cliff. Uncle Cliffy, rest in peace. Um, so this is another like really slow paced match. You know, a lot of this match is Razor just slowly working holds on Douglas for a really long time. He then sends him to the outside. He hits a, you know, a big stalling suplex, and then he like pours water on Douglas's head for some reason, just to mess with him, I guess. Um, he catches him with a choke slam. Douglas tries to come off the top rope. Razor catches him out of midair, hits a choke slam. That was pretty cool. Douglas then tries to come off with a, a floating press, but Razor catches him, rolls through for a near fall. Dean gets up, hits a big drop kick, and then Razor. This is another weird finish. We've got like, you know, the only matches on this card that like aren't actively horrifying have terrible finishes. Yeah. Like the first like eight minutes of this match were really boring. The last two were actually pretty good. But then we get this, this finish where Razor hits a back suplex and then just doesn't get up. And he lands with sort of his elbow on top of Dean and the referee counts three. And they sell it like there's this, you know, who who knows who who got the pin? I, I'm confused. Who got the pin? The referee counted three. And then the referee announces that it's Razor Ramon who has won the championship. And so Razor Ramon in 11 minutes and one second is the intercontinental champion. So uh, Dean Douglas had the IC title for in real time probably what? 15 minutes or so. Who is Dean Douglas? The franchise, Shane Douglas. <laughs> who? The first ECW champion. I know. I'm Come just on. Talking, I'm just talking shit because like, it's Dean Douglas, dude. Like, why Wait, is who? that guy? <laughs> I don't know. I just think it's so funny because like, you know, 
here's here's Shane Douglas. You know, in 1993, he makes this great historic trailblazing move when he throws down the NWA title and he ushers in the the birth of extreme in ECW. And like he is one of the like top players of ECW for like the whole 90s, except for this one like six month period where he was like, I'm going to go to WWF and be an evil school teacher. <laughs> like, I just think that's so funny. Like, this is just. Uh, I mean, uh, again, I not only do they do the weird finish where who pinned who, but they also do Dean Douglas gets his leg under the ropes, so the pin should have been broken, and it wasn't. And then yeah. you have Dean complaining to the ref. It was just an overall just overbooked piece of trash, for lack of a better word. Dean Douglas has a super punchable face. Like, yes. you just want to slug it. Um, And I do... Th- I do appreciate this this story throughout the match that you see is that it pretty much Razor is handling Dean Douglas like he's out of his league. And that's what it kind of feels like. It's like Razor's on this level and Dean is so far below it. Yeah. And I don't know. I did appreciate that. But the finish makes it even weirder considering that's the story that they told. And again, just awful. There's, there's only, there was only one good spot in the entire match. Do you guys know what it was? Was it the choke slam? The choke slam was good, but no. The only good spot was when Razor was pulling on his hair, and the ref would be like one, and Razor would let it go, and he would grab <laughs> his hair again. The ref would be like one, and he would grab, he would let go of the hair again. Then he would grab, and the ref would be one. And he did it like six times in a row, and that was the second time in this entire show I laughed at a Dean Douglas spot, and I'm mad about it. Yeah. Again, this was like it was boring for like ninety percent of it. There's like ten percent where they're actually doing some stuff and it's okay, but it it doesn't make up for the other ninety percent of this match. And I mean, you can just see between this and the main event, like Kevin Nash and Scott Hall are walking out of that door pretty soon, man. And a lot of stuff's gonna change, but they are getting the Hell out of Dodge, Sue. Good for them. So, it's main event time. We don't have the pleasure of seeing Brett the Hitman Hart actually wrestle on this card, because that might actually have been good. Instead, we have him come out and do commentary for the title match, which, Jesus. I mean, again, we're in Canada. You can't have Brett wrestle in Canada on a pay-per-view? Like, give him something, man. Come Pat. on. Bret Hart oozes charisma. Bret Hart oh, yeah. is... I feel like Bret Hart doesn't... All, I, when people talk about Bret Hart, people talk about how he was one of the great workers of all time, which he was, legitimately. But people don't talk enough about how goddamn cool he was. Bret Hart was cool. That Calgary Hitman's, Hitman's jersey was uh, sick. Yeah. I want yes. one of those. I have that in my notes that I really want the Bret Hart Calgary Hitman jersey. It's so sweet that he wears out to the ring. But Bret Hart, just a cool dude. Just carried himself with such coolness. There are only two people in the WWF throughout the 90s, or the mid-90s, that were cool. It was him and Razor Ramon. The only two. Everyone else... Jabronis. I'm, I'm talking like pre, okay. pre Austin, like okay, like early to mid '90s, like pre Austin. Everyone on everyone in the whole, you know, nobody, nobody was cool except for those two. Not even Sean. Sean wasn't even cool yet. <laughs> Arguably, Sean was never really cool. Sean was kind of a bitch in the mid '90s. 
Yeah, but I mean, I'm thinking like even throughout his whole career, would you say that Sean was ever really cool? No, no. You know what? I I agree with you. I don't think that was ever like his thing, though. No, it wasn't his thing. But I he mean, was he was cool. just like, like I don't know, like trained. He was just cool. He was Does just Sean. He was just Sean Michael. He was middle school cool for during that uh, Vince McMahon uh, rivalry. I mean, his he's, he's, McMahon's. He's saying his own theme, sexy yeah. boy. Like, but that's what I mean. Like, like Sean he Michael. thinks sexy boy. So it's like. He's not trying to be cool. It, I don't know. He feels like kind of like Reddit cool. I don't know. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like, yeah. He's, like he's making fun of how cool he is. Which makes him less cool, but also more cool. Yeah. Which I love. I don't know. We are probably, we're probably like, like typical. I'm, I'm being like a typical English teacher and reading too far into like how things are being done. Sean Michaels is cool in the fourth dimension. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I think you're probably probably reading too much into it. Like Shawn Michaels just wanted to like shake his ass and kick people. You know, he didn't care. Like it, like cool didn't have anything to do with it, man. <laughs> he was just trying to he was just trying to be Shawn Michaels and have a good time. But uh, so yeah, Brett comes out for commentary, and uh, Jerry Lawler, with whom he had had a a pretty big feud over the previous year or two, uh, you know. He Jerry Lawler is on commentary. He like takes off and Brett beats him up and send him sends him on his way. So Brett takes Lawler's place on the commentary team along with JR and Vince for this last match. It is a WWF title match, the main event. It is Diesel, Kevin Nash, defending the championship against a personal favorite of mine, but not in this match. The British Bulldog, Davy Boy Smith. This is heel Davy Boy. Davy Boy, who was almost always a babyface, had actually turned heel earlier that year, was being managed by Jim Cornette. It was a bad idea. It didn't work. Um, and again, Diesel comes out to cheers, but according to Meltzer, he got absolutely booed out of the building on this particular night. And, you know, they, they do mute the crowd pretty hard at the end. Now, is that a Canada thing, or is that just, like, people were tired of Diesel thing? I think it was a people were tired of Diesel. 1995 was a very, very bad time for WWF. Like, nothing they tried to do worked, and nothing they tried to do resonated with the crowd, like, at all. It was a very, very... One of the, like, real dark times in WWF's history. Um... But so, yeah, we have Diesel and Davy Boy. And this is like, like Davy Boy just kind of works the left leg for about 12 minutes of this 18 minute match. We get some Cornette, we some Jim Cornette shenanigans and interference where he distracts Diesel. And then, you know, Davy Boy hits him when, when the referee is distracted. And then Davy Boy walks over. And, you know, Davy Boy chop blocks them. You got Diesel and Brett are kind of talking, talking smack to each other on the outside. And Davy Boy and Brett are also kind of talking smack to each other on the outside. At one point, Diesel, like, tries to take a swipe at Brett. And that, like, opens the way for Davy Boy to chop block him and then just destroy his legs some more. Davy Boy puts him in a single leg Boston Crab for a while. But then Diesel fights out of it, hits a couple suplexes. Davy Boy then puts in the sharpshooter, but Diesel powers out of it again. Um, Davy Boy gets him up, teases the running power slam, but then Diesel fights out of it again. 
hits the big boot. Diesel really doesn't do a whole lot of offense in this match at all. Cornette runs in. Diesel sends him on his way. On the outside, then Davy Boy grabs Diesel. Irish whips him into the post, and then Davy Boy walks over to Bret Hart, who in real life, I believe, was his brother-in-law. Correct. Davy Boy smacks Bret Hart and rolls into the ring, and then Bret runs into the ring after Davy Boy, and he just beats him up. And then that's it. That's the end of the match. They do a disqualification because Bret Hart beats up Davy Boy. Davy Boy Smith is the winner of the match by DQ, 18 minutes and 14 seconds, a long run time for a match where not a lot happened. Uh, of course, by disqualification, Diesel retains the title. Brett and Diesel then fight in the ring, and then at the end of the show, as the as as the cameras turn off, they're doing this big. They do this big like pull apart brawl where a bunch of people run in from the locker room, and everyone's fighting each other. And that's the end of the show. In your house, Great White North. Um, yeah. That was the end. And then Vince gets cur- curses out Diesel. He rushes to the back to chew out whoever the writer was. Apparently, he threw his headset. And yeah, I mean, like I, I don't know. I get, this was an episode of Raw that they asked people to pay twenty bucks for. You know yes. what I mean? Like that's all this was, and because the main event was very much just like a TV match. If that match had been on TV, it would have been fine. You know, but as a main as a pay, main event pay-per-view, it was so bad and the crowd didn't give a shit about any of it. Yeah. It was all of these matches are just TV matches. Yes. And it's like, you know, back then Raw wasn't was an hour. So this is like basically a 2-hour Raw. Yeah. But you had to pay extra money for it. And thankfully, like, it was an in-your-house. So back then, like, they, you know, it was their first kind of experiment with doing monthly pay-per-views where they would have them a little shorter, not as big as, like, a SummerSlam. But they, you know, they only asked you to pay 20 instead of 50 or whatever, 25, whatever it was. So, like, thankfully, you weren't paying the full 50 for that. But yikes, bros. Diesel does look cool, though. Like, just how large he is. Also, like, how deep his voice is. Like, he has the look. A guy that, again, makes sense that he's a, t- a title holder. But when you get to the match, nothing. he does nothing. He and Bulldog don't really do anything. I mean, he doesn't even really sell any of the submissions that the Bulldog puts him in. The Bulldog puts him in the same submission over and over and over again. It's just all the same thing. And it's just, there. I'm going to start using something called a suplex test. And it's how do you feel when you hear, see a suplex about 15 minutes into the match? Is it an amazing move for the match, which is a bad thing? Or is it a build-up move into something else, which is a good thing? And the sad thing was that the that one suplex was one of the highlights of this entire match. Um, the sharpshooter that uh, Davey Boy Smith puts uh, Diesel in is just horrible. And then it makes no sense really for Bulldog to slap Hart in a title match when a DQ doesn't win you the title. Like, why? Why are you doing this? You're purposely throwing away your match. And it's just infuriating from a story standpoint. The match itself was horrible. Just absolute and utter shit. Yeah, I'm pretty sure Davey Boy got like a few WWF title matches and all of them ended in a stupid way. 
Like, like, I don't know. If, I don't know if any of them ever had a clean. I don't know if they ever had a clean finish for a Davy Boy title match. I mean, Davy Boy Smith is really good. Like you, you know that I'm a Davy Boy is a personal like all time favorite. Right, and I mean, I, I can't say that because I really haven't seen that much of his body of work from like the early '90s. But I know he's really good. But I don't know, man. It, I don't know. It's just bad, and I don't really have anything to say about it because nothing happened, and I feel bad because I or not feel bad, but like. I'm sad because I want to talk about how how much I like Diesel, but the more I think about it, the more I don't know if I like Diesel or if I like Kevin Nash. I think, well, so I would say that like the best matches of Kevin Nash's career were when he was wrestling as Diesel, because there were some matches from like '94, '95 with like Sean, Sean Brett, yeah. with Sean and Brett. That were really good, but like as Kevin Nash, he was a big star and he right. was cool. He was way cooler. Like I can't think of a match. I can think of a few really good Diesel matches. I don't know if I can think of any like really good like Kevin Nash. I guess I'm just thinking of like the NWO, you know, and yeah. like him in that capacity. Well, because he was way cooler just as Kevin Nash. Yeah, and he was a bigger star. I mean, Nash was a Nash Drew man. People love Nash. People people are crazy about Kevin Nash. You know, he had his own comic book at one point. Did he really? Yeah, hmm. that's not good. I'm, I mean, I don't know. I I am not gonna ex, you know express any judgment on the Kevin Nash comic book. I will. I've ever it read it, but good. I don't know. Maybe it was cool. I have no idea. Diesel's but, theme was good. That, yeah, that like was the, fine. The, the horn that like the loud like truck horn coming in. Like I went back and watched his what was it 2011 Rumble appearance or 2013, Rumble, yeah, which was cool. But then you see him actually start working, and it's just bad because he's old as hell. Didn't he have a old. match? Yeah, he definitely had a match with CM Punk. I think I think he went over CM Punk at one point. Yeah, he did. Um, it's better than his original theme as Diesel, where like the first year or maybe like year and a half that he was in WWF. He literally just walked out to the sounds of like, like it was like traffic sounds. It was like the sounds of like cars like honking their horns and like, like people like like trucks backing up and stuff. Oh, I'm it sure that a, wasn't annoying it was at a all. Horrifying cacophony, and he would like won the championship. And after he was the WWF champion, he was still coming out to the feet like the sound of cars honking their horns. It's the most ridiculous thing ever. My first ever experience with Kevin Nash was actually that that Rumble and, um, and then like at, I I was at Capital, hold on, 2000, 2011, right around that yeah. time, yeah. I was at Capital Punishment that year, and then I bought Money in the Bank 2011 and SummerSlam 2011, and if I remember correctly, SummerSlam 2011 is whenever he came out and Jackknife powerbomb CM Punk. So that was like my first ever exposure to him. So now I'm like predetermined to just hate Diesel. Yeah. Not great. Not a great time. You know, th- again, you can tell that like at this point, late 95, Kevin Nash and Scott Hall are walking out of that door. And I think Kevin Nash basically said that after this match, and the way Vince like just freaked out and chewed him out about how horrible this this match was was like the moment he knew he was going to leave. Once his contract is up, it was the moment he knew that he was going to WCW or going somewhere. 
And for the long run, really good thing that he did. But I guess we don't have anything more to talk about. This card was garbage. So we will move on to our two and a half marks. Let's start with Jake Long. Okay, so I'm going to give my half mark to the time in life. There, there are eras to everything. This was the era that Shawn Michaels wasn't the most hated man in Canada. Okay? And that's what I'm going to give my half mark to. The, the time when Shawn wasn't the most hated man in Canada. Because post-1997, Shawn couldn't step foot in Canada without getting booed out of the country. Who's your daddy, Montreal? I mean, you just, you can't, you can't make a heel better than that. And it's so weird to be in Canada and Sean to get cheered. I think if he showed up in Canada in 2020, they'd boo the hell out of him. Do you agree? Yes. I think still to this day, they would boo him. Yeah. They, they know how to hold a grudge up there. They absolutely do. So, And especially after he played Bret Hart's music in like 2006, like, nah, dude, you are screwed. Um, so half mark to that. Uh, and that's the only positive mark I'm getting. So I'm going to give a negative half mark uh, to being Janetti. Half mark or full mark? Full mark. I'm giving okay. a negative full mark. I can't read. To being Janetti. All right. There's a long history of guys splitting from tag teams and just getting Janetti. For example, Mojo Raleigh. Remember him? He was with Zack Ryder. Uh, Damian- I think I think the hype bros are an instance of both guy being the Janetti. <laughs> well, at least at least Zack Ryder was cool beforehand. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Damian Sandow after Damian Mizdow was a thing. You know, he got pushed to the side. Wait, that um, was a thing? Yes. Yeah. Damian I, Mizdow? I've never heard oh, of that. That's what oh, got Damian Sandow. That was the reason Damian Sandow was like randomly crazy over for like a couple years. <laughs> he just he just went around imitating the Miz everywhere he went. And that was his gimmick. And people loved him. <laughs> um, Ted DiBiase Jr., from the uh what was it, legacy i think yeah him cody and uh randy orton and i'm gonna hit you with one w- one member of harlem heat stevie ray getting absolutely genetic like you know booker t goes off and does big things and stevie ray nobody talks about him so. you know you know who it's gonna happen to it's gonna happen to tucker and heavy machinery oh my back. god yeah, it might already be happening to him <laughs> which sucks because tucker is great so I'm giving a negative one mark to being Janetti, and I'm giving negative two marks to the Diesel as champion era. Bad, bad, bad. <laughs> I mean, he just he didn't. They didn't like. If you go back and listen to um, one of my personal favorite podcasts, is something to wrestle with uh, with Bruce uh, Conrad Thompson and Bruce Pritchard. Go go and listen to Bruce talk about Diesel as the champ. They. They didn't. I mean, they really didn't have a ton of better options. It was Diesel, Razor, or Brett, and none of them were drawing, and none of them were making money. It was just a bad time in WWE or WWF. And I think Diesel. This was the whole year he was champ, if I'm not mistaken, mm-hmm. right? And it yeah. was just a bad year. I mean, I can't think of. We had, we were kind of already talked about it. I can't remember any great matches he had during that time either. Um. And, you know, I, I know we, we, we talked about Brett, but I mean, it was with Brett. Brett has good matches with broomsticks. So it's just a bad time. I won't call it cursed. I'll call the pay-per-view cursed. But I'm just going to give negative two marks to the entire Diesel era 
of 1990s WWF. Angelo. All right, so I have a little bit more positive than Jake, but not much. My half mark is going to the In Your House logo. It's nice. It's simple. It's colorful. (laughs) It's a very good logo. I would buy a t-shirt with it on it. I like the fact that NXT brought it back. Great logo. Yes. I will say, when NXT did NXT TakeOver In Your House, and they brought back like the old set with the actual house, and they brought back Todd Pettengill, I was loving it. I had a great evening. It was. It's a very cool, iconic logo. Um, my one mark is going to decent opening matches, because the opening matches were the only source of any th- joy I got from this card. Uh, Triple H versus Fatu. It wasn't the best match, but you know, I, the characters kind of helped make the match enjoyable in some capacity. The Smoking Guns versus the One Two Three Kid and Razor Ramon, the best match on the card. Again, enjoyable match. I like Billy Gunn. One Two Three Kid was very interesting to watch. Razor Ramon is just oozing charisma. Um, and then even like I got some enjoyment out of the Gold Dust shtick, even though the match sucked. So again, those first three matches highlights for me. The rest of the card cursed and then my negative two mark something that we have not talked about at all yet i'm very surprised is how awful the commentary team was oh it was so goddamn bad vince is being vince to a t like he's trying hard not to be vince and it's just awful like he's trying to commentate this entire thing and vince just sounds like he's out of his depth it's awful like vince as a heel like commissioner or like leader of his entire thing owner great Vince trying to call a match is awful. And then you have Jerry the King Lawler, who is turned up to 11, doing all the things we hate him for nowadays. But he's doing them more frequently and more heinously. Like, the entire match where he's making fun of Fatu Fatu and how he smells and how his house is. Like, it's just all horrible. And then JR, who isn't bad but you don't hear him at all in this match on this entire pay-per-view he's like a forgotten thing because he can't get a word in edgewise with vince and jerry just spouting nonsense this entire time i hated them so much and then you have doc Hendricks as well this is actually i'm getting angry about it again but negative two marks (laughs) for vince and the king and doc Hendricks because they were horrid the worst part is vince was like their a team like play-by-play yeah. play guy for decades like they he was like the the baby face play-by-play guy and they you know he was the owner of the promotion the whole time but they never acknowledged that on tv until like nine i, I think they started to like they really started to do it after like montreal yeah so that was like not for another two years like, he was he was done doing commentary by that point wasn't he i think he was I think he was on commentary for Montreal, was he? Maybe or was he, he was. not? I don't remember. I didn't think he was, but he might have been. Based on I his showing. Be, I might be wrong. I'm just, I, I, that's like my instinct. Based on his showing on In Your House 4, he should have been done commentating in 1972. <laughs> yeah. But it was, it was bad. I mean, and he always was really, really bad. And he never got better, but he just kept doing it. So, Yeah. No, Vince as a play-by-play guy, inexperience. So I'm going to go in my half mark. I'm going to give it to my guy, Bart Gunn, because, again, we want to talk about the Brawl for All, boys. Brawl for All champion, Bart Gunn. This is the baddest shooter in the WWF. 
man who beat up Dr. Death, Steve Williams, if, on national What TV. if I knock out Dr. Death? <laughs> John! <laughs> fuck Dr. Death! So, well, you know, half mark to uh, to Bark Gun for just doing, just going out there and knocking out Doctor Death because he <laughs> did it, man. He knocked out Doctor Death. That's awesome. Doctor Death would kick my ass. Let me tell you. Um, one mark goes to Sean Waltman, the one, two, three kid, X Pac, whatever. I've just always been a fan of his as a worker, and especially it's fun to watch him in this era of WWF because. There is nobody else on that roster who works like him. They don't have any smaller, like, athletic guys who kind of do, you know, aerial stuff and do cool kicks and stuff like that. There's a million little guys now on, you know, on national TV who work that way. But Waldman was really one of the only ones at this point, especially in WWF. There was nobody else who worked like him. So he's cool to watch just as a... Sort of a, a change of pace from the rest of the stuff that you're watching when you're watching WWF this time. And my negative two marks, it's kind of along the same lines as, as Jake gave us. He said the Diesel era in WWF. I'm just going to say, like, mid-90s WWF, period. I mean, 95 especially, though. 95 is, like, one of the worst years ever for WWF in, like, every conceivable way. You know, business was horrible, you know, nothing they did creatively was good. Every single person, except for like Brett and Shawn Michaels and like maybe Diesel, I guess, had a ridiculous gimmick where they were a hog farmer or they were an evil teacher or they were an evil clown or, you know, they were a, a fancy lad from Connecticut or just a, a billion other things. It just like everyone had to have a gimmick where they were just like a blue collar occupation almost like, I think you still had Duke, the dumpster Drozzy running around like guys like that. I mean, and the, the, the booking was all terrible again. Like nobody cared about anything going on. It was just God awful. The matches were terrible. At least today in 2020 WWE's booking is still terrible, but you get good matches sometimes. That's at least like, you know, at least you get some good matches when you watch the pay-per-views. There's not, I mean, the cupboard is bare. Uh, I will say the pay-per-views usually, at the very least, don't suck. Yes. Now, it, you know, obviously we're about a year away from formation of the NWO, WCW taking off, blowing past WWF, the famous 83 weeks where Nitro was on top of Raw and WWF, as the story goes, nearly went out of business. But, and, and obviously, like, that happened because WCW, they struck gold with a hot angle that they rode really hard and they were able to find a way to just catch the imagination of the audience and catch their attention and get them excited and get them wanting to watch the show. Imagine Twitter they, back then. They did. I mean, WCW managed to do that and good for them. But there was a reason why the door was open as wide as it was. It's because WWF 
for the previous couple of years was absolute just I don't need, I, I would call it trash, but that would be an insult to trash, man. Let me tell you. Just dog. Just dog crap. Horrible. And that's this is like we get a perfect slice on this show of everything that made 1995 WWF terrible. So, David. Yes. Did you find a place where we could watch it? I haven't looked, but I will find it, I'm sure. So, yeah. Uh, usually, we, uh, we, we, for our last order of business, we spin the randomizer. But we are coming up on a nice round number. We're coming up on our, our 20th episode. And we kind of decided that once we hit a, a round number episode, as we did with the G1 Supercard a couple months ago, we're going to just kind of pick something else to watch as a, as a palate cleanser for some of the, the, the terrible stuff we've had to subject ourselves to over the previous you know, 10 weeks or so, and just to kind of switch things up and talk about some different guys. So instead of hitting the randomizer, that'll be back next time. We're going to watch, assuming I can actually find a, a full link to the show, which I'm sure I can. I have my, my sources on the dark web. We're going to be watching All In from 2018, the big, uh, you know, the, the, the pay-per-view that kicked off AEW, basically, that ended up being the biggest non-WWE show in 20 years, and I think, all things considered, one of the most significant wrestling events in the United States, maybe ever, we'll see, but... We're, we have decided we want to watch All In, and we want to relive All In because it was awesome, and it was really cool, and there's a bunch of great matches, and a bunch of awesome dudes all over the show, so that's the plan. So next week, again, assuming I can find some kind of uh, you know a full show link on one of my illicit Chinese websites for All In, we will be watching All In. Do, so we, want, do we want to hit the randomizer as a breaking case of emergency? Yeah, okay, I guess we'll do that. So, um, that makes sense. So, in case I can't, you know, go on the Bosnian deep web and find a, a full link to the show all in, I'm going to hit the randomizer. What are you guys looking for? David's all gonna in find- 2018. <laughs> David's going to find a VHS copy in a back alley somewhere. If I can't find, <laughs> if I can't find an illicit laser disc copy of all in at a yard sale. We are going to be watching. So you, uh, I'm open for something again. good. Just something, something good. good. Okay. So we're going to be going back again, assuming we're not watching All In. I guess maybe we can push this to the next episode after All In. Maybe. We're going to be going back to an era we haven't talked about a whole lot. 80s WCW. Oh. Starcade 1988. Oh. Is I next I, up. That's. Is that Flair? And it's Flair and who? I mean, I can't Flair. lie. I'm definitely looking it up. Oh well, you know you're cheating. I mean, I just know it's Flair. It's Rick oh, Flair. It's, is it Luger? Yeah, it's Flair, Rick Flair, and Lex Luger in the main events for the NWA World Heavyweight Ooh. Championship. And I mean, all, all these guys up and down the card, man. You got Dusty. You got Sting. You got the Road Warriors. You got Bam Bam Bigelow. You got a lot of guys, man. You got some of the best of all time going at it. Starcade 88. So I guess 
next time we'll we will we'll plan to watch all in next week and then I guess we can push Starcade eighty eight after yeah, that. I'm down for that. That, I'm like, good for that. That looks pretty cool. I want to watch that. Yeah, me too. So okay. So next week the plan is we'll be watching all in, and then after that, Starcade eighty eight. But we'll see how my uh, my forays into uh, the illegal streaming websites of the internet go. The dark web. And we'll be back next week with something hopefully all in. So, as usual, for uh, my friends Angelo and Glisa and Jake Wong, I'm David Statman. Everybody, thanks for listening.